Hello, everybody, and welcome to a, another meeting of the Ghoul Guide Association. We are back on YouTube or Spotify, wherever you are consuming this, and we are, of course, the Ghoul Guides. I am Lauren. And I'm Mary. And today, we are going to be talking about something that I have a particular interest in, and I think is, is kind of appropriate because it also happened in an unseasonally hot summer, which kind of makes sense but we are going to be talking today for this comeback episode about dancing plagues. I mean you say it kind of makes sense I cannot imagine anything worse than (laughs) dancing around (laughs) in this weather. (laughs) You say that you say that but like on these days where it's really hot and you're losing your mind and you know, you're all sweaty and your skin feels weird and all your clothes feel horrible. Do you never just kind of get that, you just want to shake everything off of you? Not necessarily dance, like, you know, burst into a polka or something, but I can kind of understand people just losing their minds and gyrating. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, I know that like the weather makes, the weather makes people do weird things. I guess for me, and anyone, anyone who knows me, I have a, a predilection to fainting. So yeah, um, for me, the hot weather doesn't make me want to do stuff because I'm always in the back of my head. I'm like, I can't do too much because I will end up face planted on the floor or in a wall or something. Uh, people do really weird stuff, especially, I find especially when it's hot or when it's like just before a thunderstorm. It's like, it's like there's something in the air. Yeah. As much as I am a skeptic and I don't believe in mm. things like moon sickness, it's undeniable that when there's a thunderstorm coming and when there's a full moon coming, whatever atmospheric changes those meteorological events cause, and we know that the phases of the moon cause meteorological effects, but whatever atmospheric impact that has on human beings, it makes people crazy. I mean, it makes sense because like, you know, it's all to do with like, in part, like gravitational pull. So if there's something Mm -hmm. that is impacting your your body and the center of your body's gravity, it might make you feel a bit weird. And the same, like in in terms of like temperature and pressure, like if if your, you know, if your head is is feeling a bit pressurized, I guess, like, yeah, like, well, yeah, I mean, you were there the time in Mexico mm-hmm, where yeah. we were changing cities. There was a thunderstorm coming. I had been having to translate like three or four days and my brain just, I just couldn't, just couldn't. I just couldn't. The taxi driver was like telling me how much the money was in Spanish. And you were like, what's he saying? And I was like, I can only tell you in Spanish. My brain <laughs> understands the Spanish, understands the English. It is refusing to put those two things together. And I was... I looked like I was on drugs and then the thunderstorm happened and I sat up and was like, I feel great now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because the pressure's gone. Yeah, pressure, pressure is real. It's also kind of like the day before your period. Mm. The day before my period, I'm, I'm unhinged. I'm like angry (laughs) and upset and like things seem like really good ideas. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I don't want to chop all my hair off and <laughs> some you know <laughs> the Scottish Hebrides I'm just on my period this is this is 100% a thing like I Definitely. mean 
I, I always like a few days before, like I always feel really off and I'm like, I can't put my finger on it, but I don't, <laughs> I don't feel well. It's almost like a cold, almost a little bit like the flu. Often I have like really weird, horrible headaches. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I'll just feel really, I'll feel miserable. I'll be sad. I'll be moody. And then, <laughs> and then suddenly it's like, oh, of course, that's what it is. Um, and yeah, yeah I'm and, like, oh, <laughs> It turns out I'm not a failure. Everybody doesn't hate me. I'm just menstruating. Yeah. <laughs> is it I'm... menstruation or is it imposter syndrome? <laughs> the young female academic dilemma. <laughs> and on on that cheery on note. On that cheery note. Dancing Plagues. Could be one of the many reasons. So yeah, this episode is all about dancing plagues, you guys. And you'll notice I say plagues, plural. Mm -hmm. I am going to talk about one specific event that is the quintessential dancing plague. Mm. But, and this is something, just to preface, I've been wanting to do this for a while. Um, I'm always like, hey Mary, we should do about when all those people dance themselves to death. And, And for the record, I'm always like, yeah, you should. Let's yeah, do that. Yeah, we should. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's not like you've been like, no, Lauren, you cannot talk about that. You support me in my endeavors, mm-hmm. but it's never really fit. And because, you know, it's one of those events where it's hard to say there's so there's so much kind of hearsay and mystery and pseudoscience and science and all sorts of stuff wrapped around it. So ultimately, this is a podcast about things that are gothic and why they're gothic and and exploring that and talking about them so on the one hand this event seems incredibly gothic just because what is not gothic about a bunch of people dancing themselves to death in the streets in the middle ages but on the other hand (laughs) it actually needed a little bit of research for me to think about you know how this would fit without me just being self-indulgent and telling everybody facts they've probably heard before about dancing plagues which I could have still done, but (laughs) I made the, you know, I was the one that was like, we should have a context and a format for this show. (laughs) Speaking of that, and and I'm sure that you do have this plan, but like, do you want to explain exactly what you mean by dancing plague and how, and how a dancing plague is different from like, I don't know, your regular plague? Well, first of all, let me tell you a story. (laughs) so the place Strasbourg Alsace that's where Raymond Blanc the famous chef is from (laughs) not Strasbourg France that part of Alsace Um, (laughs) although it is where Gutenberg was when he came up with the printing press Uh, so Strasbourg Alsace France 1518 at this point it's part of the Holy Roman Empire And that is an important fact to remember. We are still very much in the period where these major European powers are closely, closely tied to the Roman Catholic Church. The Empire and the Catholic Church are almost one and the same, kind of co-led by the Pope and the Emperor and then the various kings, which were all his cousins and brothers. (laughs) Habsburgs, (laughs) y'all. So, our story begins, as all good stories do, with one woman. And that woman's name, depending on the account you read, is either Frau Truffaut or Lady Truffaut, which technically Frau and Lady are the same thing, but really they're not, are they? Frau translates generally to sort of along the lines of Mrs or Ms. Lady implies a certain class connotation, 
So I'm going to call her Frau Truffaut because that seems to be the more common one. So it was an unusually hot summer and Frau Truffaut comes out of her house one day in Strasbourg and um, just starts dancing in the street. And not like waltzing or country dancing or line dancing. Uh, this is 1518. So, you know, the type of dancing we're talking about is is very much like court dancing, but she didn't come out and just kind of start waltzing by herself. She came out and just started vibing, throwing her arms. She just let let the rhythm flow through her. She let the non-existent <laughs> rhythm take her. There was <laughs> no music. <laughs> she literally just walked out as she starts dancing. And over the next few weeks, so this is July, this lasted until about the end of August, early September, hundreds more people came. Reports vary. The lowest number estimated is 60. The highest number estimated is 400. Whether 60 or 400, that's still a a hell of a lot of people. (laughs) I mean, it's also like, what's weirder? Like seeing one woman dancing on her own or seeing a crowd of whatever size just dancing. Like, I mean, I guess it's like a a flash mob, but without the, um, like the, pre-planning yeah like a spontaneous medieval flash mob yeah flash mobs no thank you oh god no absolutely horror absolutely not (laughs) so yeah it's not just frau truffo they're not like oh there's crazy frau truffo vibing outside her house to the music in her brain no hundreds of people and they just kept dancing to no music non-stop and according to lynette j miller um as many as 15 people died a day This is not a confirmed fact. And actually, some people are kind of sceptical about whether people died at all. We'll talk a bit about that later. But these people were dancing uncontrollably to the point of pain, exhaustion, and even death. This shit everybody up big style. Allegedly, the people that died, what are they dying of? Exhaustion. Yeah. So it's it's literally like not even just like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on the dance floor Mm -hmm. that is the streets and vibe and 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 dance and 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 do my stuff but I'm also not going to take any breaks no so I'm not going to hydrate myself I'm not going to take a break to to maybe sit down or have a nap yeah also not going to have any snacks it's just continual non-stop non-stop dancing dancing. they're not like it's not like when you go when you as in me age 23 not 33 but it's not like when you go clubbing and you have your little bottle of water in one hand and you're vibing and you go outside and you have a little smoke break, you have a bit of fresh air. On the way home, you get some chips. No, they just carried on. This is also reminding me of the wonderful um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, <laughs> Once More with Feeling, where exactly. um, Sweets, the, the demon, comes into town and basically creates a dancing plague where everyone starts singing and dancing, but then they can't stop. And there's like, the, you know, there's, there's really um, horrifying, but also like compelling scenes where you've just got people on their own in the streets dancing themselves into like combustion where they set yes. on fire. I'm assuming yeah. that did not happen. There was no, no fire. but No, no fire. Although there was, you know, to the people of Strasbourg, particularly the Strasbourg Council, this was like something out of a biblical scene. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a cause of horror and people were scared to shit. So interestingly, this being 1518, very much the beginning of the sort of like Renaissance Enlightenment period, they first went not to the church, but to the doctors. 
And the doctors were like, don't worry, guys, we know how to fix this. And they prescribed a party. <laughs> can we just can we just pause and be like, I wish my doctor would prescribe me a party. <laughs> when I go and I'm like, hey, I'm depressed again. I wish he was like, go forth my child and party. Not like, um, let's up the prescription. <laughs> yeah, basically they prescribed a party. Mm-hmm. They were like, they just need to dance it out. Let's get some music. So they they literally they clear out the guild hall. Are you saying it's like a like a fever that they they can't sort out? A fever they can't sort out. <laughs> I did make that pun in my notes. Sorry, so, sorry. I'll hold back. Oh, we're too similar. <laughs> yeah. So it literally was like a fever they couldn't sort out. So they were like, let's clear the guild hall. Hire musicians. They also hired people to prop them up so that when they like collapsed. There were people like propping because they literally just thought, oh, they've got to dance out. And they were kind of like, oh, maybe their blood is on fire because this is 1518 and people still think that like Galen and the four humours is medical science. Needless to say, it didn't work. I am shocked. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, It didn't work. And the government was like, time to footloose this bitch. And they banned (laughs) dancing and music. Yeah. And they were like, no more. No, stop. And obviously these crazed dancing people were just like, I can't hear you through the sound of the voices in my head. And they were dancing. <laughs> so yeah, this it's not working. Um, so Sebastian Brunt, he was the secretary of the Strasbourg Council at the time. He fortunately kept a lot of records. So actually this event is very well documented. A lot of these things get documented like 10 years later. But people were writing about this as it was happening. Still doesn't make it fully viable or credible, but it gives us a better idea of what was actually going on. I mean, I know, I know of some, you know, not naming any names, but like really important things where the the, the, key, <laughs> the key eyewitness texts were written, you know, seventy years afterwards. So cough, cough. The Bible. <laughs> cough, cough. <laughs> so yeah, so Brun um, is writing, and he was like, okay. So what they're going to do, because apparently this is this had worked like two centuries before, they're going to ship them all to the shrine of St. Vetus. And they literally like forced these people into wagons whilst they were still dancing, took them up the mountain to the shrine of St. Vetus, and they put little crosses on them. And they also dressed them in red shoes. And they anointed those red shoes with crosses and holy oil. They sprayed holy water on them. And they took them up to the shrine of St. Vetus. And it worked. They stopped dancing. I guess sometimes what you need is just some kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Placebo things to signify. Um, or, or, no, I guess. Or actually, divine intervention. Or divine intervention, yeah. No. <laughs> Come on, Mary. Uh, yeah, no, you're right. I, there, there are clearly two valid um theories of what happened and and divine intervention is just as valid as the placebo effect thank you yeah they wore red shoes with holy oil crosses on them mary that was obviously what worked holy shoes sorry not to be disrespectful but (laughs) lol (laughs) so yeah this was the infamous dancing plague of strasbourg um also known as that one time in france when all those people danced till they died that's its colloquial name <laughs> any 
probably have heard of this event before. This is something that often gets picked up by, you know, shows about weird things in history. But there's a lot to be said about the background to this event and about things that happened before. So, Mary, do you know what choreomania is? I am going to say no. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally dancing madness Mm -hmm. so choreo same etymology from the greek choreography Mm -hmm. you know to dance and mania you probably know that one i think we all know that one you know madness or illness or mental illness so choreomania is well i suppose one could say it's the first dance craze (laughs) i like that thanks i appreciate that as a pun Uh, when i wrote it in my notes i was like is that bad (laughs) they're not mutually exclusive (laughs) good puns are by nature bad puns yeah so yeah choreomania literally is a phenomenon potentially psychological potentially psychosomatic potentially sociosomatic that has happened a number of times through history. Now, some people debate when the first one was. Some people say there's ones as early as like the Greek and Roman, but they usually are connected to things like rituals and parties. So like the Mayanads, the Dionysian worshippers had these kind of like raves. They, they, They were raves, let's be honest. But there's a difference between people working themselves up into a frenzy of movement through Mm. a conscious act of worship and choreomania. Choreomania is literally when people just suddenly start dancing and can't stop dancing. Yeah, because one is associated with that euphoria that you get with with being in a crowd. So you find this at mass religious events, but also at like musical Mm -hmm. events. Um, So I'm thinking like big festivals, uh, where there's a there's a big crowd and then maybe there's a you know a joyful frenzy yeah. that that happens and everyone kind of you know this has been documented that that, that kind of feeling of, of euphoria that you only yes. ever get in those kinds of places and maybe then leads the crowd to kind of together as a whole do something as a mass yeah um and and you also you also see this in in things like um you know in, in a less kind of I guess joyful euphoric way but you also see this in um, things like riots and things where it's you know a, yes. a mass thing but this is like this is something very different yeah a hundred percent like this isn't mosh pits this isn't like evangelical mm-hmm. worship this is random seemingly unprovoked plagues of dancing so choreomania is I, let's say the scientific term for a dancing plague now all sorts of shit had been cracking off in Strasbourg prior to 1518 um there had been a comet in 1492 and comets right up until the 17th century really always seen as portents of ill omen yeah you know again even if we're skeptics things like comets unexplained uh astronomical stuff people it weirds people out And it does sometimes make weird things happen. You know, there's often like earthquakes and stuff like that. But yeah, so a comet had come and people were like, shit, that's bad news. Comets never mean anything good. I can't blame them because there was also a literal plague, like the bubonic plague, not a dancing plague. Oh, that's really not fun. Yeah, like at least a dancing plague, you know, sounds kind of, I mean, it's not fun, but it sounds more fun than the bubonic plague. 
there'd been multiple peasant revolts, I think one in 1504 and one in 1508, and there'd been some famine. So, well, I mean, you know, in in the scale of things, comets, I guess we're on the fence of, plagues, mm-hmm. bad, yeah. peasant result, revolts, I'm going to say yay, yeah. famine, bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah. quite a quite a mixed bag of things happening, but but quite a lot of, you know, seismic and important events. Exactly. So, yeah, Strasbourg had had seen some shit and it was also a city that was kind of like on the precipice of modernity. Um, Strasbourg is, I think, like the seventh or eighth biggest city in France. It's one of the biggest cities in that region. Like I said, it's where Gutenberg was when he was, you know, scrolling away at the printing press. So it was a place where there was a lot of tension between new and old, between religion and rationale between science and the supernatural um so it does kind of make sense that something like this might happen because people were stressed shit had been cracking off over the last 20 30 years in Strasbourg but as I said was not the first dancing plague intriguing there are some kind of littered around about the 9th century and the 10th century. But they usually are a little bit different. They still seem to be kind of like either people seemingly, uh, you know, expressing something like demonic possession or religious fervour. They don't seem to quite have the same defined elements of choreomania. So the first like big recorded one is in Saxony in the 11th century, in a town I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the name of. I, I'm not sure. Uh, you can look it up. If you if you search Saxony Dancing Plague, uh, <laughs> you will find it. One of the articles that I read that mentioned it wrote it in the old-fashioned way, and I was like, that's not even a word, that's just letters. Uh, <laughs> no vowels? Um, can't, you know, like, old English and, like, Germanic doesn't always mm. have clear vowels? It was like that. Yeah. Which makes sense. It's 11th century Saxony. Um, but the first big big one so that's like the first properly recorded one the first big big one takes place in Aachen in Germany in the July again so both Strasbourg and Aachen both happen in July this one however takes place in 1374 so quite a bit before and this one this was like a European tour the action dancing plague, everybody got a taste. It spread to Cologne, Flanders, the Rhineland, Trier and Liège. So like a dancing plague conga. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. They were like, let's keep this party going on to the next town. <laughs> so they were just like vibing through all these European kingdoms, just, you know, gesticulating wildly, bloody feet, all the rest of it. And people... People onlooking were terrified and a lot of people at the time likened it. There's a lot of language to do with John the Baptist and the Salome story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supposedly, if they saw the colour red, they would, you know, they couldn't tolerate it and they were tearing it. And there's lots of allusions to, to the Salome story, which is that's the Dance of the Seven Veils, isn't it? The Salome story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you don't know the story, she's a princess, isn't she, Salome? Yeah, and she, I guess a lot of interpretations are like, you know, she dances a sexy, sexy dance for him. (laughs) And he, um, 
no not not for him for I forget who it is but for this other person a king maybe an emperor I think it's a Um, king isn't it and he is so impressed by her dancing that he says what do you want and she says I want John the Baptist's head on a on a platter so she gets that yep but yeah she's meant to be very very young when that happens um teenager maybe maybe preteen yeah so at the time we're talking 14th century this is a story that had gained a lot of traction as a moral tale about being pious and not being a sexy woman or a woman or literally anything to do with being female how original (laughs) i know right (laughs) didn't see that one coming (laughs) when i was reading the the article and i was like why were they making allusions to John the... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh yes, dances and blood and the colour red. So a lot of people saw this dancing and they were like, oh, this must be either demonic possession or divine punishment, one or the other. This is either people who have sinned and Satan has lured them or it's people who have sinned and God is punishing them. Um, whenever I see stuff like that, I'm like, have you guys not read Job? Those things those <laughs> things aren't those things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I like know. you know <sighs> the devil often works with God to enact punishments. So why do you think you know, Satan exists, you guys? God, if God's <laughs> omnipotent and omniscient and all the rest of it, he didn't go, oh whoops, one of my angels betrayed me. He made him intentionally. But anyway, dance at this time is very much about like grace and finesse. So for example, Mary, a film that you and I love very, very dearly, A Knight's Tale that well-known, historically accurate film. The dancing in that film is very graceful. It's very controlled. That's why they're all a bit scandalised when Heath Ledger starts his little his little dance and they start playing David Bowie because dancing at this point in time is seen, seen as being something that was about control, about grace, about refined movements. And this hardcore wiling out that these people were doing in their merry dance across Europe was it was pagan, you know, it was not Christian, it was something horrifying and terrifying that they just could not abide by. And it was spreading, like this was spreading across multiple major places in Europe. Yeah, if I, if I saw um, Heath Ledger's character, and I forget, <laughs> I forget the other actor's name, um, but you know, them both dancing in a in a really you know they're vibing they're sexy dancing they look like they're having a lot of fun I'd Mm -hmm. be like oh yeah this looks way better than like this boring thing where we just walk around maybe holding hands exactly everyone else at the end of that scene is having a great Mm. time in a night's tale (laughs) and as I say it's definitely a film you can use to base your historical facts and sources off oh like a night's tale is basically a documentary exactly Exactly. It's perfect retelling. Best film ever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So um, what did people think of this at the time? A Flemish chronicler whose name I think is Jean d'Optremuse, but as we all know, my French is terrible, so it might not be that, Um, (laughs) claimed um, in 1374, so later that same year, that the dancers were chanting, they were hallucinating, they were convulsing, people were collapsing, they were foaming at the mouth, they were making lewd sexual gestures, and 
this might be him just being scandalous. Apparently, some people were also like full on doing it in the streets, out and out public copulation. Oh, so it, it's not just a rave, it's an orgy, although I guess yes. that often happens at raves. Anyway, where does the rave end and the orgy begin? <laughs> So it really, it really is like one of those those Maynard festivals then. Yes. Yeah. So it's hard to say for sure whether or not this is kind of like a scandalising overdramatization, or if this is what was really happening. But I think it is safe to say that, you know, 1374, we're talking about a time where the church has a lot of control over Europe. We're also talking about a period of time where there was a lot of corruption in the Catholic Church. When has there ever not been? (laughs) In all. Um, But yeah, you know, this is a major European power um, that is often very corrupt. There's a lot of fear. And you've got to think about things like the Dan's Machba. This is a period of time where I think 1374 is, is around the same time. I'm pretty sure Dan's Maccabus 14th to 15th century. You've got this, this kind of symbology of skeletons dancing into towns and taking people away with them. So this idea of people, it seems ridiculous, but actually I can you can if you look at God get your words out, Lauren. If you look at medieval ideas of things like plague and hysteria to use a term they didn't have somebody walking into town and just suddenly start dancing and everybody start dancing with them and then them going on to the next town and more people joining them it it's not totally outside the realms of possibility so it's kind of I guess we could look at it in in a way like subliminal messaging where you have all of these pictures or carvings or or depictions of, hey, look, here's like the Mm -hmm. skeleton that represents the plague and death and they're dancing and there's groups of skeletons dancing. And so you have this association of disease and death with dancing and that kind of joyful um, dancing. If you keep seeing this around, then, you know, yeah, maybe that is. If, you know, if if it's it's a really hot day and... You, you know then it, it could just both of these happen in July mm. it's at a time when people are really stressed out they're scared yep and if you if you've gone through a famine and you you know you've not you've not you're malnourished because you haven't been eating or if you've gone through a mm-hmm. plague and and therefore like you've seen lots of people dying as well and you've had that exactly. fear of infection and then also you know peasants revolts and um, you know, other like, all of these kinds of tumultuous, yeah, tumultuous things, and you're going to be a little bit on edge, and and also like not not very well, um, like just physically and mentally. Especially if every Sunday, if not more often, you are going to church, and there's all this Latin chanting, and somebody is telling you that God's going to punish you, mm-hmm. and you must repent your sins, and fornication. We're not talking, you know, this isn't quite we're not quite at Puritan times but this is still a time of religious fervor and yeah you can kind of see that is I think why most uh, scholars agree that choreomania at this time was seen as being a curse Mm -hmm. yeah so this guy called Hieronymus I think it's Gebula (laughs) in the 1520s so just after the Strasbourg plague 
he was convinced that that happened to teach people modesty, that it was kind of like pushing people to excess to remind them to be modest and pious and to better understand the suffering of Jesus, which is kind of in line with things like Carpe Diem and Dan's Macaba and Memento Mori. This reminder that, you know, there's an excess and an extreme. And obviously in terms of the Gothic, death and the macabre and the depictions of of death are often looped in with that idea of excess because excess leads to death. And of course, you've got to think about as well, if yes, the skeletons that come in and carry people off are personifications of death, but they also suggest undeath and Mm -hmm. they suggest an unquiet undeath rather than being in the bosom of God in heaven after you pass away. So there's this, this definite fear um, and a lot of people like Gebula thought, this is a curse. They are being punished by God. They have done, you know, impure things. Um, maybe they are levacious. Obviously, it started with a woman. And if you think about the 1374 Korea Mania incident, there's all of this like sexual lewdness and looseness. And he was like, it's obviously a curse. But this is where things start to change. So there's this guy called Paracelsius. Oh, yeah, yeah. You've probably heard of him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so Paracelsius is, is, again, from Strasbourg. He's a very famous... I hesitate to say scientist because I don't think he saw himself as a scientist. He was like a philosopher, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, it's probably the best word. Maybe like a natural philosopher might be the best way to, to explain yeah. it. Because natural philosopher is usually the term that's used for people pre the concept of modern science who were interested in things like the body and space and things we would now consider a science yeah um and paracelsius was like you're all fucking muppets it's clearly medical now he did have religious faith but he was just like what the fuck obviously not so he was he was one of the people that was like oh yeah it's you know galen's theories of like yellow blood and all of so we're going back to ancient greek and roman medicine but what we've got to remember is uh this is europe and whereas the rest of the world particularly the arabic world was like doing science and maths and they were like you know advancing and having a great time we were literally shitting ourselves in the mud afraid of comets and there is a lot of stuff to say that, you know, the so-called dark ages were not that dark and we should use this slightly different term. But yeah, from a from a European perspective, we were pretty behind. Uh. <laughs> well, it's that, it's that thing, isn't it? Like, so the dark, the dark ages is a term that's used because we don't have a lot of materials from that period. So we are the one we as in us now in, in the 21st century, we're the ones in the dark. Because we don't have a lot of stuff. Again, like, you know, if you look to other kinds of cultures like the Arabic world, they, they had like quite a lot of good record keeping, but we just were not there yet because we were focused on other things. You know, we were, we had a lot of plagues. There were lots of plagues, you know. <laughs> we had a lot of plagues. But they, they wiped out loads of generations. Yeah, but we also had a... We had a lot of plagues because we couldn't fucking wash ourselves. Well, yeah, we also had, yeah, we also had issues <laughs> with, um, yeah, stuff like that. We thought water killed us, which to be fair, it did because it was dirty. 
but also because we were dirty and we did not have basic hygiene. To be fair to this period of history, it wasn't really until like the 18th and 19th century that like basic hygiene and, and <laughs> the, the importance of soap and even sometimes, to be honest, the, the 20th, the beginning of the 20th century. Not until the 20th century that people were like, wash your fucking hands. On, on, a, on, a, mass, on a mass scale. But I mean, even in the 21st century, we still have to have... Uh, you know signs saying specifically in men's bathrooms <laughs> um, but also in you know like kitchens and stuff like that wash your hands so you know yeah 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 so he was pretty sure Paracelsus was like it's definitely a medical condition and this is when we stop talking about them as curses and we start thinking about them mm. as plagues interesting yeah and of course Thinking about them with plagues is obviously because this is unfortunately, as we said, a period of plague, particularly the bubonic plague. So he, you know, the term choreomania comes later, but it's a really interesting turning point that despite the fact ultimately they did get taken to the to the shrine of St. Vitus and, you know, they seemingly were healed, he was fairly sure it was something to do more with the fact they were taken out of the situation, they went up the mountain, there was some kind of like therapeutic experience. And it was probably, yeah, like their blood was on fire, which we now know that's not a thing. But it's a makes a little bit more sense than curses. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, I guess if it's like a kind of fever, taking them up a mountain which is going to be cooler it's going to be going to be maybe more air exactly then it would at the very least change yeah just change how they're feeling exactly exactly so this is the great dancing plague of Strasbourg there is some some contention over whether or not people died some scholars say that as I said some people said yeah up to 15 people a day died and they carried on dancing. Some people say no one really said in the at the time accounts that anybody died. Some people think that like a hundred people died. Regardless of whether or not they actually danced themselves to death, somewhere in the region of a hundred to four hundred people, all of a sudden, one July, started dancing and just didn't stop. I think it's weird. Yeah. like Which I think is beautiful. <laughs> no, not really. I think it's fucking terrifying. Because this definitely happened. This definitely happened. And unlike potentially the earlier one in action, where there perhaps could have been some inspiration to get involved because people were getting away with, with being lewd and, and all of these things. And it was a bit of a like temptation mania. This one, they they didn't shout anything. They didn't really chant anything. There's not really that much to say there was anything overtly sexual about it. They were just doing this weird, frenetic, crazy, nonstop dancing until they passed out. And if they did pass out, they just got back up again when they woke up and they started dancing. And this is a lot of people. So there's a couple of theories about how this might have happened or why this might have happened. And this is one of the things I love so much about this is because whether or not there is a really simple scientific explanation or a really vague complex scientification, the fact that this could happen is so 
weird. Like this is a stranger than fiction incident. All of a sudden, hundreds of people start just dancing for about two months in the street. It was September when they finally carted them all up the mountain to the shrine of St. Vitus. Two months this went on for. It's weird, isn't it? Because I, I, I definitely would be leaning towards more like this is this is some kind of like medical phenomenon. Why doesn't it happen anymore? And it's like a it's like a weird mix, isn't it? Of like the the ideal conditions for this to to happen in terms of the the individual's you know physical body and the the like the the environment in terms of like the temperature and and stuff, but also maybe cultural like in yes. um, th- things that are impacting that. And we are talking about men, mm. women. We are talking about young people old people so it's different to when like um one of the things that happens quite often phenomenons is um schoolgirls, particularly in all female schools in um either very high stress environments or in very secluded environments they will all go mute or they will all be convinced they saw something and that is still a strange it's still strange and bizarre but it's it's quite a well-recorded phenomena of mass hmm. hysteria Obviously, mass hysteria has some negative connotations, but when we're talking about it without its, you know, gendered, uh, very negative connotations, mass hysteria is a thing that happens. And it's actually quite easy, particularly when you're young and your frontal lobe hasn't finished developing, to convince yourself as a group that something has happened. This isn't that. This is like, you know, your mum, your dad, your grandma you neighbor Sam down the street and his two kids and his aunt Jane all in the street like just kicking it dance off of the century so it is really it is really weird so a couple of the theories are things like ergotism so ergotism is a type of food poisoning happens when I think it's the wheat and the rye crops are negatively impacted. It does make sense that that could have happened. There have been floods and famine. This is one of the major theories for what happened at Salem. And it does cause things like hallucinations and sometimes convulsions, but it doesn't fully explain it. Ergotism wouldn't, they don't think anyway, and obviously I'm not a scientist, I'm a literary historian, (laughs) but it's very unlikely that ergotism on its own would have caused this response. And the same thing goes for encephalitis, which can cause swelling of the brain. It can cause convulsions, hallucinations, same as typhus. And typhus spreads very quickly, very easily. They could be part of why it happened, but they wouldn't be the sole cause. So one of the biggest theories is that it could have been one of those three things in conjunction with basically just a massive fucking stress response. Just like a huge group stress response. That things had been so shit in Strasbourg. <laughs> yeah. And people were having like existential, you know, people are having existential crises. Like, this is a very, you know, people are like, there's been a comet. And what if the world's going to end? And I've got this, there's preachers and mm. the devil. And yeah oh my family died of plague and I've seen all these horrible things and then the crops you know when lots of bad things happen I'd probably think I was cursed too if I if I was born in like 1460 and between 1460 and 15 what was this 1514 did I say 1518 
if I had seen peasant revolts, a plague, a comet, floods, famines, all of these crazy things, if I had been going to church and having all of this, you know, very ritualistic Catholic imagery, I probably would also think I was cursed. You also, you know, you can you can kind of see how like now people genuinely believe that we are in the end times because like what you've described, mm-hmm. like, I mean, even 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 just in the past two two, three years, we've had like <laughs> droughts, floods, <laughs> famines, plagues. We're in the darkest timeline. <laughs> the t- the Titanic again, war, like all of these kinds of like ecological and in inter and intra like national like big events and you, yeah you'd think like this is the world coming to the end and, and maybe maybe we're cut and people are scared of hell mm. like this is a period of time where yeah. hell becomes a really big thing isn't it like and we've talked about this before about like how hell developed as a concept but round about the you know 13th 14th 15th century depictions of hell and ideas of hell are are very prevalent you've got all of this imagery of like yeah Dan's macabre Mm -hmm. you've seen all these terrible horrible things you've got people telling you to abandon your superstitions but then you've seen some really fucking weird shit and yeah people were scared scared to death literally of hell people were incredibly stressed they'd gone through massive losses nothing was sure and nothing was certain so one of the one of the ideas basically is it's it's yeah it's like a mass hysteria and they they suspect maybe is like Frau Truffaut has just has had enough she comes out of house one day and she's like fuck this noise and she just starts going and once she starts going she can't stop going and somebody comes over and sees her and and they're like what are you doing and obviously she's just going and she's dancing and instead of walking away they start doing it too and they suspect you know some people probably did it out of fear if if you walk into the town square and there's 200 people writhing around wordlessly dancing in this weird and it it seems like when you read the accounts it's not like yeah they're not two-stepping or like jiving they are doing this weird sort of very pagan ritualistic dancing as they would have considered it and so they think some people probably join out of fear some people probably are caught up in the shared delusion some people probably and this is the same with the earlier ones and this is the thing for choreomania they think that maybe it was so prevalent during these periods of intense religiosity Mm -hmm. because people were so scared of you know doing things and we we see it happen again during intensely puritan periods of time that when one person started doing it this possibility of being part of it like something switches in their brain and that rational they may be at the beginning are thinking i'm gonna walk over and join but then once they start going they can't stop i think it it really the the best thing to compare it to I guess would be speaking in tongues yeah because it that that does also seem to be quite it, it has a lot of factors that are influencing that there might be some people who genuinely believe that they are speaking in tongues but then there might be some other people who you know peer pressure or, or those, those social pressures in in that kind of environment whether it's a small room with a couple of your friends and family or 
a big mm-hmm. like um mega church event where everyone yeah. suddenly starts speaking in tongues and you don't want to be the odd one out and there will be people there who genuinely yeah. think that they are speaking in tongues but there will also be people who do it because they think that's what they should be doing that's what's expected or they don't want to yeah. be the the only person not doing it the odd one out yeah and there's an element of release so like we know that dance just the act of dance has a psychological effect that can cause a massive hit of dopamine you feel like you've gone to another level you feel super connected with the people that you're dancing with so like for example now there are these dance parties um that happen all around the world and I can't remember the exact name for them I'll try and remember to look it up and put it in the notes but where there's no drugs there's no drinking you just go and the whole thing is it's a judgment-free space and you just dance and it's just this like freeing dance party where no one's judging you no one's looking at you if everybody these people aren't dancing together they're dancing as a collective but they're not dancing with each other they were just dancing yeah there's no choreography it's just vibes yeah, just vibes. The choreo and choreomania is not like everybody's like to the left, to the right. <laughs> I actually went, I don't know if you saw that, to the wrong direction because <laughs> I've got no coordination. But yeah, they're not, you know, this isn't a choreographed movement. This is just this intense interpretive dance, essentially, that everybody did for two straight months. And I guess this is a thing as well, like a bit like speaking in tongues and, and the same thing with faith healing. People feel it because they're part of this this vibe mm. that everybody... Um, yeah. You know, scientists have kind of said, like, we might actually vibe. They think that there is some kind of weird, like, electromagnetic thing going on where we actually do connect, like, subconsciously with each other. So the vibes are real, y'all. <laughs> but these people, they're not... Whether or not they started doing it because they wanted to be part of it, like... There's a difference between speaking in tongues or convulsing at a ritual or a religious ceremony because you're going to get up from that and you're going to carry on going about your day. These people were dancing into it like this could not have been fun. They were literally compelled to keep dancing to the point that they were killing themselves potentially. It's um I don't I don't know if you've um I don't know if you have this in your notes but it, it's like that um that fairy story the you, yeah is this where we're going <laughs> well shall I jump to that because I don't know if you <laughs> noticed um they were put they put red shoes on them mm-hmm. so yes red shoes the red shoes you might say um comes from this incident of choreomania and potentially also from the earlier one in Aachen because apparently they couldn't abide by the color red so there seems to be apparently red is associated with St Vitus and the reason that they took them to St Vitus's shrine is because that seemed to be what had worked the last time so they put these red shoes on these people now the weird thing is they put these red shoes on these people to stop them dancing and it supposedly worked. The fairy story that we get is that the red shoes is something that compels you to dance. So there's a couple of different interpretations. There's Hans Christian Andersen's The Red Shoes, which is about a young girl who was gifted a pair of red shoes. Um, she's kind of spoiled. And when she puts them on, they make her dance nonstop. And that has... Um, There's been films of the Red Shoes. There's the Matthew Bourne Ballet of the Red Mm -hmm. Shoes. So there's a lot of media 
inspired largely, I think, by this story. Uh, there's also a Kate Bush song called The Red Shoes, which is about yeah. the red shoes, uh, where somebody puts on this pair of shoes and they cannot stop dancing. And they put the red shoes on because they want, they're told, you know, the red shoes are going to make you dance better. The red shoes, whoever wears, you know, it's some, there's like a desire element and they're sort of punished for it. And this has popped up everywhere from gothic horror to the serialized version of Disney's Aladdin where Genie gets tricked into putting a pair of shoes on and then he destroys the town every night by dancing uncontrollably which really upset me as a child and has stayed with me forever (laughs) it haunts me it was so sad (laughs) he just couldn't stop dancing so this yeah this idea of the red shoes has really permeated media I do find it really interesting though that the red shoes was the thing that they gave them to stop them dancing and it's now become the symbol of not being able to stop dancing and dancing to excess or even until you die. So I was actually thinking of a different fairy story as well. Like obviously... There... You can mention the 13 princesses or the 12, 12 princesses, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I also have noted that one. Okay. So Hans Christian Andersen is obviously uh, late 19th century. The Brothers Grimm come a little bit before that. Mm -hmm. And the Brothers Grimm, as we know, um, unlike Hans Christian Andersen, who kind of took traditions and conceits in fairy tales and made fairy stories out of them, the Brothers Grimm sort of collated fairy stories um they still had a hand you know they shaped them but they you know went around Europe listening to all these different uh oral tales and traditions and then they they put them together and one of those is the story of the dancing princesses and Mm -hmm. similar sort of thing they they can't stop dancing and it's horrible it's like a night thing isn't it so like at night yes it's it's always at night night they go they go they go somewhere I guess it's, it's it's implied that it's like a fairy realm. Yes. They maybe descend somewhere into like this secret passage and they dance it like every night. They put on these special shoes and then they dance. And I think it's one by one. Um, They find that they can't leave. Yeah, it's um, one at a time. I think there's 12 of them and yeah. they're supposed to marry maybe, 12 princes or yeah. and maybe there's a prince down, and he has to they go down, like Yeah, they go down one at a time. Um, it's been a yeah. while since I've read this. but Same. Um, and I remember it being a really disturbing. I mean, yes, a lot of them are disturbing, but this is a really disturbing. I mean, one. I think this is why this is why fair, a lot of fairy stuff, a lot of you know, not just fairy tales, but tales that involve the fae, are quite terrifying yeah. because there's that idea of you're being enticed with all of these like pleasurable things, mm-hmm. whether it's food or drink or dancing, and it's it's so enticing. It looks so gorgeous. It tastes so nice, but. If you're ever in a fairy realm, do not eat or drink anything (laughs) because then you can't leave because then you can't leave. And then it's even, you know, it's even more terrifying to be in this like weird space and you're you're dancing and you can't stop dancing. Yes. And you also can't ever leave. Yeah. And this this is one of those interesting things where like this has a grain of truth to it. This idea of the dancing plagues, choreomania was well known across Europe and would have definitely been something that people used, you know, if they were talking about it as a curse before the 16th century, I mean, it's definitely something that would have been used as a moralizing factor. And this idea of, of dance being, you know, this is where the Gothic really comes into it. Dance, and this is, you know, go back and listen to our episode with our friends over from uh, Macabre Dance, 
this is something that the gothic has always been very interested in when it comes to dance that dance is something so pleasurable dance is something that is such a an act of self-expression it's an act of community it can be an act of defiance it can be an act of seduction but this idea that once you start dancing you can't stop dancing Mm. and that these people en masse danced themselves to the point of of absolute exhaustion potentially of death I mean it's been a while but if I go out dancing the next day oh my legs I tell you I do not I don't do anything like it's 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 intense to continue to dance for six to eight weeks this is this is like wicker man levels of scary to me because it actually happened and we don't fully understand why it happened we have some theories about why it happened but that doesn't mean it can't happen again what if tomorrow I just go out my front door and I'm like oh my god the spirit has taken me and I start dancing and then you come over and you start dancing and then we're all dancing and that is how the world ends I mean maybe it is maybe maybe that is how how the world is gonna end can't be any worse than the way that the way that we're going right now (laughs) (laughs) it's not a bad way to go at least it's not trapped in a tin can hundreds of feet under the sea I guess uh the paupers (laughs) the paupers end of the world but yeah so this had I think a massive impact on the development of the gothic Mm. even down to the fact that it was originally thought of as a curse and then became thought of as something that could have or did have medical uh, reasonings and I think you can see how it's something that people have constantly come back to and even that earlier allusion to things like Salome and John the Baptist dance and being compelled to dance or compelled by people dancing because I think that's the other thing that's the flip side of this not only were the dancers compelled to dance you have the implication that the onlookers were compelled to join the mm, dance yeah. that somehow dance is like seductive in more than one way and, you know, it's a bit Call of Cthulhu, isn't it? Like, oh, once you've seen the dance, you have to join the yeah, dance and then you yeah. can never stop dancing. And yeah, how? why the fuck did taking them to that shot? Is it just because it snapped them out of it? Is it because they believe, you know, there is something to suggest that if you believe in a certain thing, then it's going to work? Uh, I mean, some therapy works like that. You have to believe CBT is going to work or it's not going to work. So if you believe in the power of St. Vitus and someone takes you to the shrine of St. Vitus, it might actually cure you because it's what your brain needs to, to reset itself. But I think, I think this is one of the things that, you know, it's very popular in cultural consciousness, but actually it's something that is, is really fascinating because the, the way that people talk about Coriomania, and I'll link the two articles um, that I used for, for this research because they're both really, really good. Uh, in the show notes when you compare the dancing plague of the 14th century to the one of the 16th century even the difference in the way they were dancing never mind the way that people thought about it it just shows you why the medieval period in the middle ages was the foundation for the gothic not just because in the renaissance they were like this is shit (laughs) (laughs) we don't like this it's bad and ugly it yeah it it's such I think actually more when I started doing the research it was just because I think it's interesting and I want to talk about it (laughs) Ah. but on doing the research I think what I've realized is 
this is actually something that probably played a massive part in the gothic developing the way that it did because if the gothic is about using these medieval tropes these middle ages tropes and and reimagining them then in the same way that Dan's Dan's Macabre was such a massive inspiration and Memento Mori was such a massive inspiration then Corriomania must be too because it happened multiple times (laughs) like it wasn't a one-off I mean look at you know look at John Milton's Paradise Lost I don't think it's it's a coincidence that everything fun including dancing and singing and playing musical instruments are are placed all all those fun things are placed in hell and surely that whether like explicitly or implicitly would have been influenced by these massive cultural movements that associate dancing with you know being cursed by god transgressing against god all of those kinds of religious narratives and you know being damned and and maybe even punished with death like well it's only a hundred years after this that you know dance becomes something that is literally banned and that you know we have this massive shift and dance becomes you know look at king james he's like oh that woman's dancing witch (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) she danced witch and what constitutes his dance i don't think we would if we saw these people i don't know if we would necessarily be like oh they're dancing it sounds more like this involuntary you know spasmic convulsion that the way that it's talked about and it's hard to say because this is a period where dance is seen as being something very graceful and, and we are at a point where we don't just see dance as something graceful we see dance as a form of expression in multiple different ways but I you know I'd love to know like this is one of those times where I'd actually love to just go back and watch them Although I would also be terrified because I'd be like, am I going to join the dance? Yeah, you'd also be terrified being like, I hope I don't catch anything, whether it's a dancing plague or the actual plague, you know. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Now I've got typhus and encephalitis. (laughs) Yeah, if you go back to the past, don't eat the bread either because you might get ergotism. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll remember that next time I'm time traveling. It's good advice. It's good advice. They don't tell you that on Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that is Choreomania and I think its connection to the Gothic. Um, I didn't even know it was called Choreomania before I started researching this episode, but now I do and so do you. (laughs) Wow. Wow. This is why we do this show, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I learned a lot and this is, this. you know, I'm familiar with the dancing plagues, but you brought a fresh perspective to it so thank you thank you you're welcome um I will of course uh link some articles in the show notes and maybe pop them um over on our Instagram um if you haven't already followed us on Instagram please do we're probably gonna start using it a little bit more because a certain billionaire who's trying to hide the fact he's balding is tanking the social media platform of our preference Uh, But you can also follow us on YouTube, you can like this video, and you can um, subscribe to us on Spotify. Thank you to everybody who's recently subscribed to us on Spotify. Um, We had a goal for this year that was like 50 followers, 
and yeah we've beat we beat that and then like continued to beat it over the last three years with three years <laughs> that'd be a long time three months um which is really great like you know it's nice to know we do this because we just miss each other and we like telling each other about stuff but it's nice to know that people are out there listening and if you if you enjoy us rambling to each other then then please do you know what on whatever platform <laughs> give us give us a like or a comment you know if there's yep. something that that is if there's a specific topic that you've enjoyed or if there's a topic that you want us to uh maybe look at in a future episode <laughs> or a guest that you think we should yeah. speak to then yeah let us know feel free to uh, direct our rambling yeah. <laughs> uh we always love to hear from you guys i think you can um you obviously you can comment on instagram and youtube you can also send us an email i think you can comment on our ko-fi as well we also have a ko-fi so if you want to drop us a coffee uh neither of us actually drink coffee we any money that we do get from Kofi we use to like pay for a subscription or buy mic stands and things like that so you don't have to support us um but we do love to hear from you if you would like to to tell us your thoughts or to suggest anything for us we actually have had two really nice uh emails come through that we are going to talk about in the near future both of them actually kind of about one was a, a twitter dm and one was an email both about golems actually really and about sentient, non-sentient things. So we'll talk about that at some point. But in the meantime, that is it from us for today. So as ever, spooky people, stay safe and stay spooky. Stay safe and stay spooky. Bye. Don't dance till you die. <laughs>